Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Talking about Indianapolis, AFC South, Stampede Blue, let's air it out. Fly route, let's air it out. Topics loaded like offense, Colt centric. Talking about Welcome back to another Stampede Blue Colts cast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Danley. Thank you guys for coming back to the show. Um, tonight, we're going to throw a little bit of everything into this bad boy. I mean, we're going to probably drag this bad boy out for, for quite a little while. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. I wanted to start getting into some of the uh, the different rankings and stuff from various websites, uh, football outsiders, pro football focus, uh, just regular old stats and info, uh, as well as doing some news and some other, just some other uh, topics that I kind of wanted to touch on tonight or this morning, whenever you're listening to this, to kind of discuss kind of where the Colts are at right now and where they're going into week four. Uh, sitting at two and one right now, I think that everybody's pretty happy with what the Colts are doing. I think that the you you love what coach Reich brings uh, play calling wise and kind of how he manages the game. And then you really like what Brissett's doing. You like some of the things on offense, uh, obviously uh, that are going well for the Colts uh, defensively is, is kind of a, a crapshoot right now. We see them play well in certain situations is certain uh, against certain formations. We see them uh, stand up kind of outside the box and then inside between the tackles, they're, they're kind of struggling. So I wanted to kind of go through a bunch of these things and just kind of give us as much information as possible, not necessarily a take, so to speak, uh, but I'm sure that I'll throw one or two in there uh, as we go. Uh, let's look at uh, some of the news right now heading into week four, the injury reports, a biggie for the Colts, uh, Darius Leonard, uh, Tyquan Lewis, obviously Malik Hooker, all three were absolutely ruled out. For Sunday against the Raiders, and it looks like T.Y. Hilton could be uh, out as well. He is listed as doubtful, but the Colts elevated wide receiver Ashton Doolin to the 53-man roster uh, or from the practice squad and waived cornerback Ryan Lewis. So that tells you, I mean, well, let me see. This presumably speaks to uh, a good possibility that T.Y. Hilton will not be playing on Sunday. Uh, other guys who have missed practice through the week, and, and quite a bit of them, actually. Not only have they missed uh, several days of practice, but there's several of them who have missed several days in practice. Pierre Desir, he's questionable right now. Uh, also, Al-Kadim Muhammad and Jabal Sheard. Questionable is kind of a thing that we would like to see, uh, uh, have a little more faith in with she- Sheard had he had a full day of practice. He still has not. Uh, been a full participant throughout the regular season, so I don't I don't think we can count on Jabal Sheard being in there. Uh, as I mentioned, Hilton is doubtful, but other guys who missed practice earlier 
Kelly, uh, Ryan Kelly missed Wednesday with an illness. He's been fine ever since. At least he's been back ever since. Um, Roland Milligan missed a day of practice, uh, but he was a full participant at the end of the week or the past two days. And uh, we also saw Jonathan Williams on the injury report, but had full practices all the way through. Uh, Danico Autry, Anthony Costanzo, Clayton Gathers, and Justin Houston all received rest days uh, on Friday. So that kind of wraps up the injury report in terms of that. But this is kind of an issue. Like, I, I kind of wonder, you know, what are they going to do at linebacker? Are they going to continue to do what they did with uh, with Anthony at, at the linebacker and then with Okariki? I, I just kind of wonder if that's kind of the 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 – way that they go with this as opposed to maybe kind of switching this up a little bit, letting Okariki run, run the will and having, you know, I mean, just kind of, I, I feel like that's more up his alley. You know, I, I don't really know. I think that he did. He had hit a nice game. I think there was a couple nice games quite honestly, but at the same time, I, I feel like Okariki might be a little bit more at home, whereas Anthony Walker might be a little more at home just staying with that mic. And though he did have a lot of tackles, you know, one of the things I was kind of praising him for following week three was how active he was. But there was, a, you know, uh, Chris Shepard actually brought this to my attention listening to Stampede Radio, so I went back and watched a little bit of it myself. He was, you know, it, it, his tackle numbers are a little deceiving. He did not have a great game, and I don't know that he's probably had too many great games anyways. Uh, tackle numbers are something that we talk about a lot with safeties, like they're the leading tackler, blah, 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 a lot of times uh, on different teams or with the Colts or whoever, or Colts in the past, and that's kind of expected, and that's a bad thing because when a safety is your leading tackler, that tells you the first two levels of the defense aren't making enough. And that's kind of how Anthony Walker is getting his junk tackles. Some of them are. Um, with that said, I'd like to see some other guys being a little more active up front. This defense has taken a step back this year, uh, most definitely in, in the running game. And we're going to kind of take a look at a little bit of these uh, you know, numbers and such uh, as we go forward. And we're going to kind of compare them to what the Raiders are doing. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous to say the least about this Oakland game because I don't think Oakland's very good, and it kind of feels like a game that the Colts should win for sure. But I'm a little nervous uh, just to just outright, you know, say that the Colts are going to win this game. I definitely think they should. I just. I, I just don't know if I could bear it if they if they were to lose this one. Uh, let's talk about a couple other topics first before we get into some of these numbers. Um, I think with this wide receiver room, and you look at obviously now with the possibility of T.Y. Hilton being gone, being gone, I kind of like what they've got with their depth. And, and when I say that, I think that it's because we saw Pascal have a big game. Yes, a lot of that was drawn up for him. But he's kind of, and I mentioned this to you guys when Funches first went out. I think that he was, I thought he was going to be the guy who would get a lot of those targets. I also thought that Campbell was going to get some of those targets. And so far, Campbell looks like the guy that they want to create some space for. 
Uh, Pascal kind of looks like the guy that they just want, you know, and not so much a yak guy, but they want him to be in place to catch the ball. He's pretty sure-handed. He's a good special teams guy, and I think that that's what they want from him. I don't think they're looking to put him in position to really get a whole bunch of yak, whereas Campbell kind of fits that mold a little bit better. Uh, it's been spoken about that Kane's kind of been quiet so far this year, and I'm having a hard time really determining whether it's him being quiet, he's not getting enough targets, or a lot of the – you know, maybe they're just not kind of using him in the way to where he's going to be most successful right now. And I don't think that's a, a knock on Kane from the coaching staff. I just think that they have a, a different game plan that he's either going to get moved into the game plan and have a little more activity within it, or he's going to simply be a, you know, a back kind of a background role player uh, who has the occasional big play and uh, are going to kind of use him that way, maybe kind of inch him along as well. But ultimately what it comes down to is Brissett sharing the ball. You know, Brissett looked at Kane a couple times this past week, threw one in the dirt, you know, another on in week one, even his very first pass of the season was to Kane and it was a bullet. And I don't know how Kane caught it because it went through the cornerback's hands. I mean, so I'm looking at this wide receiver group. I really want to see these guys kind of take that next step. Um, this week, and this, this is what kind of tears me when I think about it. T.Y. is going to be out. They've got a lot. I mean, they've got basically nothing with Chester Rogers, and I'm not trying to knock him on that, but he's just not. He just doesn't bring much to the group. Deion Kane is a very real, real playmaker. He's one of the tallest receivers the Colts have. He's not as heavy as Doolin. He's not as heavy as Pascal, but he's got some size. He's got some weight. He's got some explosiveness. And I think that when you see him, Campbell, maybe even Doolin for that matter, uh, on the field all at the same time, I think you're going to see that these guys can rise to the occasion. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see them in the aspect of wanting to see what they can do without Hilton, but I'm still scared to death to not have T.Y. Hilton on the field. He does so much even if he's not the target of the play. He is going to draw that coverage. We saw it uh, last week where he drew the, the coverage to the middle of the field, leaving Pascal completely empty on coverage and an easy touchdown. That's what Hilton does when he's in the game. Hilton is a game changer whether or not he gets the ball. And that's something the Colts need because right now Brissett is kind of feeling himself. The offense is kind of feeling itself. This is one of those games where it makes me worry that there could be a step back losing T.Y. Hilton. You know, maybe Ryan Kelly's not, you know, fully healthy uh, from his illness. Uh, maybe Mack kind of re-aggravates an injury, though he's not on the injury report. Uh, maybe the running game isn't, isn't quite as good as it has been or it wasn't, isn't as good as it was in the first couple weeks. And then the Colts kind of have to rely to the air attack. This is going to be one of those games, I think, where the Colts really show what their depth is all about, especially in the receiving core. Uh, I would like to see Kane get a little more active. I would like to see what Ashton Doolin can do. 
And I want to see Paris Campbell get some more attempts as well, or get some more targets as well. This is going to be a fun week. So I'm excited to see the wide receivers most definitely. Wanted to talk about the safeties real quick and kind of uh, discuss where these guys are at. Okay, so when the Colts are out hooker, obviously they're out a playmaker. You've got guys in there who can play. I know George Odom didn't have a great year uh, last season in coverage, especially late in the season. Uh, but I think that he's fully capable. I really do. And I really think Kari Willis is a future stud. When you add Clayton Gethers, and, and look, Clayton Gethers had a, an interception last week. It was an awful throw by Matt Ryan. Nevertheless, good on Gethers for the interception. He's just not been very good this year. He just hasn't. I would love to see, and I don't think that Gethers personally is built to be a coverage guy anyhow. I think Kari Willis is the guy who can step in there. Aside from the fact that he's not got the height, he's not going to be that coverage guy. He's going to be that in the box. He's going to be that guy crashing the line of scrimmage, trying to take out the receiver or the running back as he gets outside of the uh, the tackle box. I want to see George Odom kind of shine. I want to see him shine. And I think that the Colts, I mean, he's basically getting his shot to do that right now. Yes, I think the Colts will take a step back, but I also think this is where a guy like Odom, who is an undrafted guy who is going to get his opportunity to shine. He's a really personal, a fun guy to talk to. He's a hardworking guy. Uh, we spoke to him last year on the cast. And I, I'm just kind of anxious to kind of see where he's at as well. There, there's a few of these situations this week as we move into week four. Um, let's move up front on the defense now real quick. This defensive line has been kind of strange. So the Colts have eight sacks through the first two weeks. Didn't get a single sack last week. Didn't really get a lot of pressure on him either. The only real interior pressure that I saw was Tyquan Lewis forcing uh, the quarterback out of the pocket, Matt Ryan, a couple times, and Matt Ryan was dealing at the time, so Matt Ryan was on target. I'm really hoping to see Justin Houston kind of explode. Okay, Houston hasn't had been bad. We need to see him getting home. We need to see guys like Alkadine Muhammad getting home. Jabal Sheard needs to get healthy in a hurry. Kamoko Ture, I want to see him start getting home. Marcus Hunt, even though he's had a pretty decent but quiet start to the season, he needs to become more of a force. He's a massive dude, and they're doing things with him that we didn't see last year. Last year, you were seeing him get a little more pressure on the quarterback, uh, interior, off the edge a little bit, um, or, or starting on the edge and coming through the interior, kind of on some twists and some, stunt, some stunts. I want to see Marcus Hunt being used for what the Colts have had a lot of struggles with in the past, and that is to knock balls down at the line of scrimmage. This is what he should be used for. He is a massive dude, uh, six foot eight, and we need his. We need him to be getting into passing lanes one way or another. Grover Stewart's been kind of hot and cold. I think he's done a really good job. You see him burst through occasionally. He's not terrible against the run, but he's not really exceptional at anything. I want to see him get better. I want to see him kind of make an impact. Jihad Ward hasn't been active for the past couple weeks. Uh, kind of curious as to what's ever come of that. But Danico Autry is another guy who's kind of been 
uh, either extremely frozen cold or hot for a player or two. It's never been a dura- duration type thing. But at this point last year, he had already had a couple really big games. He's kind of, I don't feel like he's really done that quite yet. Uh, obviously, Taekwon Lewis is out this week, so that's going to hurt. So these guys are going to have to step up. This whole defensive front are going to have to step up. And with the lack of real elite talent in that interior, it begs the question, is this what the Colts go after in the first round or very early or at least, you know, Chris Ballard working his voodoo, finding a guy at some point on the first day or two of the draft who can be a legit playmaker from the interior. The Colts need a sustained pass rush. They need a pass rush of the future. I think you see uh, a lot of flashes from Ben Banagoo. Uh, obviously, we like what Teray's done. Jabal Shear's not going to be here much longer. Last year, I wrote a piece about should the Colts get rid of him. Yeah, they didn't really benefit a whole lot monetarily from it. But look, he's, he's on the shelf, and, and the Colts could have possibly had somebody else. And I'm just saying, when he's in the game, he's good. He's not great. Now he's not in the game. He hasn't been in the game yet. And we don't. I don't think personally that he'll be in the game this week. I think he'll be sidelined and, and inactive. But they do need him. They do need his size. They do need his run support. Uh, and they need his occasional ability to rush the passer. The Colts have to get better at this. They've got to be more well-rounded up front. They've got to be more diverse. They've got to be able to get home from multiple guys up front. And if they can't do it, I think you have to look at some of these elite guys along the defensive front in college as your first day uh, pick. It it just, I mean, the Colts are going to have two picks in the first uh, 36, 37, 38 picks, I think, uh, given with the draft picks that they've earned in trades and so on and so forth. I just think that the Colts have to do something about that sooner rather than later. Because if you wait too long, Unless you're bringing a guy in in free agency who's elite, which almost never happens, guys. Sometimes you get lucky in free agency and a guy plays better than he did the year previous with his last club, which is why they let him go. That doesn't happen very often, though. The Colts have to find a legit answer and a youthful answer, I think, at defensive tackle and maybe even defensive end. And they may have to keep searching, like I said. Of course, like I said, Banigou's been playing pretty well when he's in. Very spotty start. I mean, very spotty snaps, though. Uh, Ture, kind of hot and cold as well, but extremely hot when he is. And Justin Houston's kind of been, you know, what we expected. An older veteran, uh, playing pretty good, but he's not making a massive impact. The Colts have to, they can't go over again in this game. The Colts have to get to Carr. And they've got to do it a lot because Carr gets rid of the ball quick. They've got to do something about that, and they've got to do it now. And I think, more than likely, the biggest and most important and pressing issue for the Colts is finding an elite talent somehow up front. They've, whether they've got to trade for a guy, whether they've got to draft a guy, whether they've got to find you know that lucky guy out there in the free agency market next year, something's got something's to happen. Because, like I said, Sheard's not going to be here for very much longer. Marcus Hunt isn't going to be a viable defensive tackle in the NFL for much longer. Justin Houston's not going to be here next year, I mean, or the year after possibly. So there, there's a lot of guys in this front that need to be worked, and the Colts really don't have an answer for that right now. That needs to be a priority going into the 2020 season. So uh, we've got a lot more to talk about, guys. We'll be right back right after this break. <laughs> 
Okay guys, I want to talk to you about TickPick. TickPick is a great way to get tickets to see the Colts or any other sports, music, or entertainment event of your choice. Not only will you save 10-15% to 15% off every ticket order, you can do it without any annoying fees at checkout. Think StubHub, but without the fees. Just head to TickPick.com, select your seats, and head to checkout. Get on your way to the next Colts game with TickPick. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies, like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, thanks for coming back. So let's talk a little bit about Frank Reich and his play calling and his approach uh, to this game uh, in, in this uh, first quarter of the season in general. There are so many things that the Colts have lucked out with, and it's been kind of talked about how Brissett's playing well and the Colts literally just lost their franchise quarterback to retirement. Frank Reich, you know, was obviously second best, so to speak, uh, after Josh McDaniel's fiasco. And Frank Reich's been amazing. There are a lot of things that he does outside of play calling that have this team eating out of the palm of his hand and are probably helping them without even knowing that it's helping them, the the players themselves. It's those things, it's kind of like the you know, the way that somebody gets to you without you even understanding that they're making a point. And then you are just naturally going about what you're doing and improving. And I think that's kind of the way Frank Reich approaches this. He gives them the confidence to move on. He gives them the confidence with that, that holding call that we talk about, with the play last year that everybody gave me hell about, uh, that I was kind of up in arms about when the Colts ended up tying the Texans uh, in, uh, or I'm sorry, losing to the Texans in the, I think it was week three, week four last year at home. I get, I mean, I get it. There are just so many things that this guy is literally just saying, look, I trust all of you 
And these guys are getting it. These guys feel that they want to play harder without even recognizing why they feel that way. Frank Reich has put so much trust in them to, to execute, to make the big plays, to make that fourth down conversion to Jack Doyle, to stop the, the Matt Ryan and this Julio Jones-led Falcons offense on a fourth down and long, or a third down and long, as opposed to a fourth down and five, giving them an opportunity, uh, and possibly you know giving them a field goal. And that's the thing. Frank Reich isn't handing anybody anything And maybe this is where it trickles down. When a coach tells ultimately his team, you know, silently, we're going to give up three points here and that's okay. It's a different mindset without anybody on the field at the time knowing it that no, we're not giving them a field goal. We're going to bust our ass and we're going to try to keep them from getting anything. We don't want to give them anything. And honestly, guys, what was the score last week? If Frank Reich allowed that field goal to take place and it was good, the game is totally different. It's tied. That's the difference. And there are so many decisions that he's made, so many that are on the borderline of risky Um, But there's just a mentality that he's bringing to this team that is completely overwhelming them. And like I said, I don't even think they know it. He He is trying to keep everybody from getting anything. Whereas... It just... I don't even know how to really explain this, but when you get a guy that says, we're not giving them anything, that makes that team not want to give them anything, ever. And then when you have a guy who says, we're going to give them three points, or we're at least going to give them an opportunity to get three points because this is maybe uh, the smarter play, we're going to force them. They would rather kick a field goal than go for it and and continue this drive. So we're going to let them try to do that. We're going to try and stop them, though, on the field goal. That's the thing. It says, okay, we're going to give them three points, guys. Hey, it ain't seven. There's a different mentality in there when you're only willing to give up nothing versus willing to give them even three points. Because if you continue to do that throughout the year, that could be the difference in some games. And maybe it'll backfire eventually on Reich. But it sure as hell isn't going to take any effect off of the players that he's coaching. Those guys still don't want to give up anything, even if it backfires on him occasionally. That, I think, in my opinion, is one of the most impressive attributes about Frank Reich and his approach to how he's coaching this team. I think that Frank Reich has a legit pull on everybody on this roster. I think the coaching staff is that way. And you can, you know, we can talk about Eberflus, how he's calling his game. Uh, Early in week one, we saw him blitzing continuously. It wasn't working. Uh, Did he not blitz enough in week three? What was it this? It's all, we, we had the same kind of situation last year in a few different games. In the end, though, Eberflus is gaining that 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 same kind of momentum internally because Frank Reich is letting him do his thing and call that defense the way he wants to do it. Eberflus is, I think Eberflus is talented enough to where Frank is giving him the leeway to do that. So a lot of what we do when we come in and we have instant reactions to bad, good, ugly, or whatever, 
this is probably one of the teams and one of the, I mean, in terms of roster and construction and uh, uh, coaching and everything where it's a little easier to just kind of sit back and say, I'm just kind of not going to have an opinion, like a, a, a take on this quite yet. I want to see how it plays out. And I think that this is, we could never do that with Pagano. We couldn't say, well, let's just wait and see what happens. Because he'd just piss all over the next three or four games and just ugh, disgust everybody who was watching the game. Nobody wanted to watch Colts football outside of Colts fans. And half the time, half of Colts fans didn't want to either. Frank Reich brings a completely different mentality to even us, the fans. We want to watch because we know that he's going to go full bore and he's going to try to cut the throat of the opponents one way or another. He's not going to sit back and relax. He's going to be who he is. He's going to be aggressive on fourth down. He's going to make and call plays that benefit his team. And they're not always going to work. But, man, we've got to love this uh, from our from our coaching staff. We continually complained about the Pagano era, punting inside the 45-yard line or the 50-yard line, when really you're not getting much more than another 5, 10 yards in field position. Whereas Frank Gore is going to go ahead and go for that. And then he's going to say, hey, we're going for this because we want to put the stake in their heart. Defense, you better get your S together and back us up if we, for some reason, don't get it. That's important. That's how you build a team. That's how you have cohesive units working in unison to make sure that your team is always on the same page. Offensive and defensive guys smacking each other on the butt, saying, let's do it, let's do it, we trust you. I mean, that is just a whole different mentality. It's so fun to watch. It's so fun to watch. Even watching on the TV, you can feel it. It's definitely palpable. It's a, it's, it's a different feeling and a different thing. Anytime some situation comes up, you just look to the TV and you, or, or wherever you're watching the game, and you just wait to see what Frank Reich's going to do. I love this. I love the situation the Colts are in right now, regardless of quarterback. Um, I know the defense is struggling a little bit right now, but I, I, I right now I'm kind of saying, you know, I like the way they're pay, playing in, in, against the pass for the most part. They're not great, obviously. They're struggling against the run. We know this. I'm just going to kick back and, and let this come right now. Because right now, I've got as much confidence in Frank Reich as I've had in any coach for the Indianapolis Colts that I since I've been watching. And I think that a lot of people feel that way. I really do. So um, we're going to move on. But I, I think that this is something that I, I want everybody to kind of pay attention to the next time you're watching the game. What do you see? And when you do see it, what are your thoughts? You know, what do you think? Is that what you're doing? Are you sitting there waiting for Reich to make his decision and then kind of go from there? Um, I think that this is making for a, an extremely fun season, and I can't wait You know, for each week, honestly. It makes Colts football a lot of fun again. So, all right, let's kind of move on here uh, out of me just jabbering, and let's go into some statistics. And uh, we're going to first start with uh, pro football focus numbers. Now I know that a lot of people have a lot of different, um, thought processes on, on the, 
you know, the pro football focus numbers and, and the player grades and all that good stuff. And I get it. And there's no reason that you shouldn't. But at the same time, it, let's just, I'll, I'll add some context to it, at least on my end. I'm not going to attempt to mess with what they have and how they grade and all this and that. But I think it's important for us to kind of look at it and see where they've got. It's just a fun thing to do. So let's let's move into this. Now, right now, uh, at quarterback, the Colts have Jacoby Brissett sitting at 23rd right now. I don't think this is a big deal. He hasn't gone downfield a whole lot. He's going to start. He's going to get more aggressive as the season goes on. Now, let me let me give you guys this little bit. Remember last year, first few weeks, Andrew Luck, and I should have brought up his stats just so I could kind of put this on there. But he, I mean, he wasn't going downfield. 100 and some, uh, low 200s passing yardage, a touchdown, an interception, maybe two touchdowns. Very, very kind of what the hell's going on. This is not the offense we expected to see with Andrew Luck and Frank Reich in his first year. And then what happened? Andrew Luck blew up and started just whooping people's tails. I don't necessarily think it's going to be to that degree, but I'm not worried about Jacoby Brissett sitting here at 23rd behind Luke Falk and Marcus Mariota. We know that's not accurate in terms of uh, talent level or are they as good as so-and-so. I'm just looking at this as this is where Brissett's at at this moment because he hasn't gone downfield a whole lot. He's not really testing coverage. A lot of his passes are inside of 10 yards. And, you know, last week we started to see him kind of go downfield a little bit more. Frank Reich involving a little more of um, an aggressive passing attack. And I think that we're going to continue to see him give uh, Brissett a little more leeway in terms of going down. I hope that Brissett is actually seeing the field m- more clearly as well. That way it's not a question of how much leeway does Reich need to give him versus uh, can Brissett get downfield and does he trust what he's seeing. So I hope that there's no issues with that. I don't necessarily feel like there is at this point, but that's something that's going to kind of – it's going to be a give and take between Frank Reich and Jacoby Brissett. So Brissett at 23rd right now behind a whole slew of guys that he's better than but that's okay. It's not that big a deal right now. Um, other positions aren't going to be that way. It's fully based on performance, whereas a quarterback at this moment, I think after only three weeks of play, there, there's a little bit of extra context that's going to uh, need to be issued here. And, and, and these things are going to separate themselves uh, in the next couple few weeks. These things will happen. I mean, you're going to see Mariota go all the way down to the bottom of the league unless he just starts to play better. You're going to see Luke Falk just drop off of this list completely here pretty soon because he's not doing anything either. Uh, so that there's that. Let's go to the running backs. Uh, there is a guy named Marlon Mack sitting here at number six overall with a 79.7 grade. I think you like what Marlon Mack has given you this year so far. I don't think Marlon Mack is ever going to be that power guy, though last week, even though he had a little bit of issues, some injury issues that he was coming off, I think that I know that I really enjoyed watching him run harder. 
I still don't think he's a guy who's going to run over anybody, but I enjoyed watching him run hard, go into these plays, you know, actively trying to break arm tackles or lower his head a little bit. And he's doing a lot of his work between the tackles, and he's becoming elusive in the, in this area. This is something that Marlon Mack, we had always hoped for. So it's very interesting to see where that's going right now. I think Marlon Mack's going to have another, uh, a big season. Um, I just hope that he can stay healthy. I want to see him get his 10 to 15 carries a game and, you know, 80 to 120 yards. And obviously that's a great, you know, that's a, one of those things where sure, yeah, we can all have, you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns and, and we'll just hand them out. Well, I think Marlon Mack is definitely on pace to be that type of back for the Colts this year. Because as we've seen several times this year already, he only needs a little bit of space to really open it up and go. And if he can get that space, which he is finding that space, and he's nearly breaking several big runs, uh, that's all he needs. Let's move the wide receivers now. Uh, Colts' first wide receiver on the list is T.Y. Hilton sitting at 15th at 78.9 grade. Uh, I think T.Y. Hilton's been fantastic. Truthfully, I think T.Y. Hilton's a top five, top eight uh, receiver in the NFL right now. I think that he's going to eclipse his best uh, touchdown total throughout his career. I think there's no doubt about that. Zach Paschal sitting at 61st with a 64.7 grade. Uh, I think that's just based on success. Deion Kane's at 74 with a 59.9 grade right now. So you can see that a lot of these are kind of, like I said, these things are all going to separate themselves. And Chester Rogers is at uh, 104th with a 45.5 grade. I like what the receiving core is. I like how well they're going to mesh this year, I think. And it's going to be fun. I'm anxious to see a little more from Paris Campbell, to be perfectly honest with you. So let's move on to the tight ends. I, I think that we obviously saw that w there's, you know, games when the Colts are going to not use their tight ends quite as liberally as they have in the past. And then we have a game like this past week where, you know what, they get eight to 10 targets between the two or 12 targets or whatever it was, and they're effective and they're a, a crucial part of the game. Jack Doyle is always going to be a crucial part of the game because of his ability to block. Uh, and I think that that's why he's sitting at 15th amongst tight ends uh, with a 67.9 grade. I think that grade will come up uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but he needs he needs his catches too. He's as reliable as they come in the NFL uh, at tight end. And, you know, a great route runner, a guy who can make plays even though he's a little limited, in, <laughs> a little limited in his athleticism. He is extremely important to this offense. And if T.Y. Hilton doesn't make it uh, into week four, against the Raiders, he's going to be even more valuable. Eric Ebron's tied for Jason Witten at 17th overall with a 66th grade. Um, I, I like Ebron and what he's been able to do this year. Not not as flashy as last year, and, and it's, it's going to be hard to really expect him to be. So uh, I'm not too worried about him. I think his, his games are going to come. He's got himself a touchdown or two already. I think he's going to be just fine. So I, I'm excited about the tight end group. And, and quite honestly, a guy who hasn't gotten a grade on here yet, but uh, Moale Cox. I'm really excited to see his progression throughout the season. 
Uh, moving to tackles, Anthony Costanzo is fifth in tackles with a grade of 79.1. You'd love to see that. He's been very quiet this year. We don't talk about him a lot. We don't talk about him making plays. We don't, or, you know, in terms of uh, allowing a sack, we don't talk about him stopping sacks much. We just don't hear much about Anthony Costanzo because a lot of it's pushed on Quentin Nelson. And that's just kind of the way it is right now because he's so much more exciting than Anthony Costanzo because he's just plowing people. Uh, moving down, uh, Braden Smith is tied with Greg Robinson at 17th with a 68 grade. And I think that's pretty impressive, actually. And just like I said with the Costanzo, I think that Braden Smith's been pretty quiet this year, and he's done much better, in my opinion, against speed rushers, and that's kind of been his weakness. Uh, I, I don't know that he will or won't make you know major strides this year, but this was a year that I kind of thought this could be a really struggle, a real struggle for him, because he is young, because he did struggle with pass rush or with speed rushers last year. He's held his own. I, I'm pretty impressed with him thus far. Uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. Let's move on to the guards. As I mentioned, you know, Quentin Nelson is just a murderer out there. I mean, you, you guys see Baldinger's Baldy's breakdowns and, and they just, he just loves him to death. And why wouldn't you, you always see him going over and, and picking up the guys off the ground. Well, this year, Quentin Nelson's getting his due with pro football focus. And he's at number nine overall with a 75.1 grade, uh, Look, he he's a badass. There, there's just no two ways about it. The, he just is, and we're going to love every moment that he's healthy and on this team because the only thing better than Quentin Nelson is maybe we luck out and get two of them. Uh, Mark Glowinski is not Quentin Nelson, but he's doing pretty he's doing pretty well himself. He's not doing great. He's allowing too much interior pressure. I think um, you can see him kind of going through his struggles this year. Uh, but he's at 44th overall, tied with Shaq Mason uh, with a 57.3 grade. Really would love to see that come up. I think the Colts are going to continue to use him. I think that's a, a position that the Colts look to in the offseason as well uh, to upgrade. And uh, But for now, I think Glowinski's doing pretty well until he's not. So I, I think that uh, the Colts are ultimately going to be in pretty good shape with him. Uh, center, Ryan Kelly is at 18th overall with a 60.7 grade. I still think he's better than that. I still think he's a top 10 center in the NFL, and I'm not going to necessarily change my mind on that. He just is. He's just quiet, and he's just he just works, and you love to see that. So move on to the cornerback uh, position. Kenny Moore is the top for the quarter or for the cornerbacks with the Colts uh, at 30th overall, tied with Eric Murray. With a 67.8 grade, Rocky Sin kind of close behind him at 35th overall with a 66.2. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Pierre Desir at 46th overall with a 63.1 grade. So we're seeing a lot of the Colts being very kind of uh, tied in a, in a specific area, like all right there in the same grouping. And, and I think that that's consistency, but you want to see – a little more, uh, you want to see a little more flash or you want to see, I guess, a, not, not necessarily flash, but you want to see the Colts 
being able to kind of being shut down and locked down guys. And I, I think that we're a little ways away from seeing that, but I really like this team's cornerback group uh, quite a bit. Uh, moving on to the safeties. This is a group, like I said, it's kind of up and down. Malik Hooker has done a pretty good job this year. I think that he's done a good job in coverage. I think he's done a good job coming up and being physical at the line of scrimmage, or at least making the tackles and, and we're not seeing any we're definitely not seeing him uh hesitate in order to be physical he's at 12th overall with a 76.1 grade Kari willis up to 19th with a 71.3 grade that should tell you right there in my i mean that shouldn't tell you i'm not I'm trying to go die hard on these pff grades but i definitely believe that this is in line with the top two safeties on the Colts. I think that Kari Willis is a better safety than Clayton Gathers, and I think he deserves his snaps. Unfortunately, Malik Hooker's out. That's not going to happen. Uh, Clayton Gathers is at 66th overall with a 45.3 grade, and I don't know about the grade-wise, but in terms of order of safety that I like the Colts, that's where I'm going to go along with PFF in that regard. Uh, Moving on to the linebackers. I don't think this is going to be a very good uh, – this is going to be a more accurate representation of how the Colts have actually played in the linebacking core. Last year it was a massive improvement, and it was a legit strength on this team. This year they are not playing very well. Uh, Bobby Okariki, top-graded Colts linebacker. Let me double-check this and make sure that's accurate. It is. Um, he is sitting at 37th overall with a 60 even. Uh, grade obviously Darius Leonard is you know been injured past two weeks so he's not going to be uh, very high he's at 59th overall with a 48.5 grade and then kind of what we talked about earlier Anthony Walker is all the way down here at 74 with a 33.3 grade that's not good that's not good lots of tackles but a lot of the things he's missing uh, are important parts of the game as well so Uh, Let's move on to the interior defensive line. The Colts have not been great on the interior defensive line. So this is not going to, this is again, going to be another position, another area where we see Colts, the first Colts guy ending up down here near the middle of the fifties. Actually, Danico Autry is at 49 overall with a 68.8 grade. Uh, I don't disagree necessarily with that in terms of him being the best interior defensive lineman that the Colts are at right now. Grover Stewart's close behind him with uh, 59th overall with a 63.8 grade. Um, and, and that's okay. I mean, nothing to shake you know a stick at, but Marcus Hunt's at 79 overall with a 56 grade. This is something the Colts need to get better at. The Colts have to be better with those guys. Those, those three guys have to be better than where they're currently at, and they're just not right now. So uh, Justin Houston is the 12th rated edge guy at uh, 79, at a grade of 79.4. Uh, like I said, he's been kind of quiet, but he's doing what he needs to do. al Muhammad's 32 overall with a 72.1 grade. And I, I think Kadeem Muhammad is a, a guy who's a little underappreciated right now. I think he's pretty solid against the run. I think he's a pretty decent rush guy. But the Colts need to get a little more consistency with that. And, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the guys like Tyquan Lewis, uh, they still have him as an edge in here. But we're not seeing uh, too many other guys. Banigou doesn't have enough for a grade yet. Uh, Jabal Sheard hasn't played a snap yet, obviously. So he's nowhere to be found on here. Kamoko Ture, 
Um, just simply hasn't had enough snaps yet. He's got a 92.9 grade right now, but this is on limited snaps, and we'll see him somewhere in the top 15, top 20 of this list as it progresses throughout the season. As soon as he starts getting a little more snaps, I think that we're going to see Teray up in the uh, the breadbasket of this group. So that is it for the pro football focus grades. Uh, stay tuned, guys. We're going to have another break real quick, and then we're going to come right back with some more for your ear hole. All right, guys. One of the things I want to look at real quick, let's look at some simple statistics. Uh, very little context, but we're going to just kind of look ahead at the week. Uh, kind of like we did last week. Uh, right now, yards per play defensively. This is important uh, for what we're going to see. Okay, we know what the offense is going to do for Logan or for the uh, Colts for the by and large. We don't know what the defense is going to do almost at all. This is going to this could possibly be one of the ugliest games of the week right now. If one of the offenses doesn't take a clear advantage and one of the defenses doesn't stand up and start doing something this could be an ugly ugly game and it could be a very high scoring game uh depending on the Colts and and when they if they can start making some turnover forcing some turnovers uh the Colts are at 26th overall in yards per play with 6.4 the Raiders are even worse than that at 6.5 so they're at 29th in the league I'm not really all that excited about 6.4 yards per play, nor do I think anybody else should be. Uh, One of the things that the Colts have struggled to do in in years past is have a solid yards per play uh, number, and and they just just don't have it even this year, whereas you want to see them doing it. The Colts are also giving up a lot of first downs per game. They're 26th in the league, giving up 22.7. Looking for uh, Oakland, they're at 22nd. Uh, giving up 21.7 first downs per game. Let's look at the third down rate. This is something that the Colts have been pretty stinking good at in the past, and in the recent past, they've been pretty good at as as well. Uh, I think that the second half last week really hurt the Colts because Matt Ryan simply went off on third down and just diced the Colts up a ton, and it really jacked up their third down percentage where they were in uh, the top 10, 12, 15 of the league at like 38%, I think. They're all the way down to 52% right now. The Oakland Raiders, guess what? They're worse. They're at 53%. So this defense is going to be an issue for this game. This is something that I think we all see that the Colts offense should be able to kind of take advantage of. And if they can, that's going to be great. Because the Colts definitely need a big game offensively. They need a defensive stand, though, for God's sakes. They've got to start doing something. They've got to start winning the turnover battle. They've got to start producing some uh, more. They've got to be more. And they're just not right now uh, producing a bunch. And in bunches is what's important right now. However, the Colts aren't giving up a bunch. That's why they're still plus one in the turnover uh, differential. That's... That's good, okay? And and right now, um, the Oakland Raiders are sitting at 23rd overall with a negative two. So they're only three turnovers different, and and this is, you know, it's it's just too early in the season to really care too much about that. But the Colts have to start producing 
more turnovers. They've got to start creating more. Uh, looking at yards per play offensively, we all know that the Colts are not going to be uh, high on this list. They just aren't. They're not getting a ton of, of yards per play uh, in the running game. They're not getting a ton of yards per play in the passing game. So right now the Raiders are at 5.6 at 16th in the league. The Colts are uh, 19th at 5.5 yards per play. Kind of funny. I mean, just a side note, Some one of these things that kind of stand out, uh, the L.A. Rams and the Green Bay Packers and the Philadelphia Eagles are all worse than the Colts in yards per play. Kind of crazy right now. Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, first. Cowboys are just killing it right now in this regard. And the Baltimore Ravens are third. Not not totally, you know, out of line. I mean, th- this is exactly what we expect. This is what we've been seeing the first few weeks of the season. Uh, looking at first downs per game. Now, this is kind of funny because we see the yards per play. The Colts are down there towards the middle. Some of the other offensive stats, they're at the bottom, yards per play and all that. The Colts in first down per game are tied for fourth right now with the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots with 24 first downs per game. That's impressive. That's talking. That is moving the ball and continuing to extend possessions. That's impressive. Uh, Looking at the Oakland Raiders right now, they are simply not good. They are at, where am I at here? Sorry about that. Uh, they are at 18.3 first downs per game. So the Colts are averaging six, point, six first downs per game more than the Oakland Raiders. You have to love that. The Colts' offense is exactly what we need that to be. They need to be a team that can sustain possessions, and they're doing that right now. Third down percentage, the Colts are, again, top of the top five in this. This is nice. Uh, and this goes back to a lot of the execution, a lot of Frank Reich's design. But they're fourth right now in the league at 54%, tied with the Kansas City Chiefs for that percentage. But uh, the Chiefs obviously have a, a ton more opportunities. But um, And then that's kind of why they get the, the boost above there. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, strangely enough, are right there with them in third down percentage at 49. Colts are significantly higher. Uh, 5% higher. That's quite a bit, but Raiders are still in the, in the area. So, um, a lot of this is what we expect. We see that the offense is capable. The Raiders have a capable offense too. Uh, both defenses pretty ugly right now through, uh, the first few weeks of the season. So let's look at pro our football outsiders a little bit before we get out of here and kind of discuss what they've got on here for the Colts offense, offensive efficiency, excuse me. Right now they've got the Colts, uh, ranked sixth in DVOA, uh, seventh last week. They're 16th in offensive Dave and their pass offense is seventh. Their rush offense is eighth. That's pretty good spot right now for, for the Colts. Definitely want to see them continue uh, to rise in those, in those areas. This is something that the Colts really want to be better at. I mean, if, if the Colts are going to be able to, to do anything, they've got to be balanced and they are pretty balanced. And I really like the way Reich moves through the passing game, the way he incorporates the running game, the way he 
styles these plays and kind of allows Brissett to run the, the huddle and run at the line of scrimmage. It's really kind of impressive. This is where the Colts are really struggling right now. It's not in just basic stats. Defensively, the Colts are now listed at 25th with a 16.5 DVOA. Uh, they were at 19th the week previous. So last week really hurt them, especially those third down conversions, I think. They're 21st in pass defense and 30th in rush defense. That isn't good. The Colts are giving up a ton of yards on the ground, and they simply cannot do that. Uh, defensively, let me look at this real quick uh, just to kind of give you guys a better idea of where the Colts are at in their rush defense. Well, this thing is not working. Sorry about that, folks. But their run defense, let's see what they're doing uh, right now. Yards per game. The Colts are allowing their 20th with 114 rushing yards per game. Uh, yards per attempt is something that I want to see the, this. And this is not something that the Colts are, are doing a, a good job of. They're not keeping these, these plays limited, especially between the tackles. Uh, the Colts have allowed... Uh, th so far on the season, 342 rushing yards. There are several teams that are worse than them, but the, I'm, and I'm actually surprised by this, to be perfectly honest with you. We need to see the Colts being uh, much more impressive on defense. We need to see some of these young guys step up with Malik Hooker out, with Tyquan Lewis out, with their uh, shuffling of the linebacking core, with their pass defense kind of being very average right now not forcing any turnovers too much. This defense has got to have a good game and they need to be one of the thing one of the entities in this game that turn the game. The Colts have to have a big game out of the defense. So let's go ahead and do a prediction real quick as we wrap up the show for the week. Uh, we've been here for almost an hour, so sorry for keeping you guys for so long. Um, I'm going to go ahead and predict that. And, and I did last week and I failed. But I'm going to go ahead and predict two turnovers this week from the defense. Uh, I think that the Colts will win the turnover battle. I don't know if the Colts will or won't give up one. But I think the Colts are going to force two turnovers, uh, both on defense, not a special teams one. And uh, I think that's the difference in the game because I'm going to go ahead and, and, and double down on my prediction and say that one of them is late in the game which uh, kind of helps the Colts seal this win. As much as I think the Colts could win this by double digits, I don't think they're going to. I think this is a 3-4, uh, six-point game somewhere around there, and uh, I think this is going to be a hard-fought game, and it's going to be ugly. I don't think this is going to be a pretty game at all. I don't think this is going to be last week where the first half were like, look how good Brissett is. All these long drives, all these multiple-play drives, all these scoring drives. I don't think that's going to be the way that this week is at all. And it could be a track meet. This could be uh, a 42-35 game or something like that. But defensively, we're going to come back next week, I think, and, and at least say that the, the team forced a couple turnovers. The rest of it, in my opinion, is just there's just too much lacking right now with the linebacking core. Uh, Darius Leonard didn't play great when he was in. He's out. Hooker is the guy who's uh, picked a ball off in the secondary. He's out. Tyquan Lewis is the guy that, in, for my money, is forcing the interior pressure when he is in. He's out. 
this is going to be a rough game for the Colts defense overall, but um, let's hope for the best. Uh, I'm going to go one on the offensive side of the ball, and I'm not going to say that Jacoby Brissett's going to have a big yardage game, um, but I am going to say that Jacoby throws three touchdowns. I'm also going to say that Jacoby has his first multiple interception game of the year. Uh, I think he goes three touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, like I said, I just think that this is a game that's going to be sloppy. Uh, as much as I think the Colts could and will take advantage of some of the, the miscues and issues for the Raiders, I think they're going to make some of their own. Um, not because the defense is good for the Raiders, just because the Colts simply aren't aren't on all cylinders. And I think this is going to be one of those games. There's just too many things missing. There's going to be too much focus on T.Y. Hilton if he's not in the game in terms of these guys are going to try to lock down other receivers. This is going to be a difficult game to watch, I think, folks. So hopefully I'm wrong in that regard, but I'm not looking forward to uh, the way that this game kind of plays out in that way. So, um, guys, that's all I've got for you this week. A lot thrown at you, uh, but I had to make up for only having two shows this week. Uh, we'll see you guys on Sunday night or talk to you on Sunday night, and maybe Monday morning, depending on when you listen to the shows. But we're going to go through a little bit of everything. Hopefully we're here to talk about a Colts win and not uh, you know, a nasty game that the Colts just didn't look very good in. I, I, I would much rather, would much rather talk about a Colts team that's been successful and, and looked good and the defense stepped up and the offense looked good and all these other things. Uh, hopefully we're not talking about more injuries. The Colts need to get healthy. Uh, that bye week cannot come soon enough right now. So, uh, everybody keep your fingers crossed. Hopefully this Sunday is a good game week four. The Colts really need it. They could start three and one. That would be super great. None of us had the Colts starting the year three and one. And I don't mean us at stampede blue. I don't think anybody out there even listening had the Colts starting this season three and one. Uh, that would be great. It would be pretty amazing. Uh, if the Colts had actually put the, the, the rest of the game together against the Chargers, they could already be 3-0. So we will uh, talk to you guys on Sunday. Make sure that you guys are getting to Stampede Blue for all your Indianapolis Colts news and notes. And make sure you guys are going and giving us a review. Next show, I'm going to give my three favorite, and I'm going to quote, air quote, favorite uh, reviews on the show and uh, on uh, iTunes. So we're going to go over that. Some of those are pretty pretty fun and, and pretty fun me. So you guys take your shots at me all you want. It's a good time for all of us. So uh, thank you guys all for listening. I'll talk to you next time right here on the Colts cast. Stampede Blue.